Hello, welcome to Jump Cuts, a podcast about movies. My name is Charlie. I am joined by my co-host, Will. Hello. And Park. Hello. I really, I thought you were going to play the soundbite there, I, too. I see, but, but I, I thought okay. that'd, be, that'd be too repetitive. I was thinking about it, and I'm like, I should have done it then instead of just interrupting you with it, but it's fine. Well, we'll hear it at some point, I'm sure. Uh, we'll <laughs> this hear it a week, lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this week we watched a documentary for the first time, Waco Rules of Engagement, a movie about the siege of Waco and how it had no rules of engagement. So this was my pick. I, uh, I've i been on sort of a crime documentary kick lately. I don't know what, I don't know if you would really call the QAnon thing on HBO a crime doc, but it kind of is. There were crimes committed. There are um, crimes involved. It's structured really? in an investigative. They're inciting crimes. They're arresting. All the indictments are going to drop. <laughs> They're coming. <laughs> They've already hanged and replaced every Democrat you can name. Apparently, <laughs> Hillary Clinton has been dead for weeks. <laughs> yeah, but they made a robot of her, uh, and she's doing all the same things she did before. I, I, don't... <laughs> I feel like I'm really missing out by not having watched this yet. You should really watch it. It rules. <laughs> Um, anyways, all this to say, yes, I have watched several documentaries in the past couple of weeks, uh, although they were all docu-series, but I wanted to talk about documentaries on here, so I picked one so that we could do that. So, first things first, Waco, Rules of Engagement, it is a movie about the Waco incident, siege, raid, whatever you want to call it. That happened in 1993, where there was a cult uh, called the the Branch Davidians that had a compound where they were doing their cult shit in Waco, Texas, and they had a bunch of guns that, according to the ATF, they were stockpiling, but they they made most of their money by selling guns. So, as one person put it, it was more of an inventory than a stockpile. Uh, <laughs> All that aside, the ATF raided the compound, was repelled, and then the ATF, the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Agency, along with the FBI, it basically laid siege to this cult compound for two months until an attempt to break into it uh, led to a fire that burned down and killed almost everyone inside. The official story here being that this initial raid went wrong because the Davidians started firing at the ATF. And then when the FBI started to break into the compound, they burned it down on top of themselves. As the documentary starts to indicate, that probably wasn't the case. Yeah, which <laughs> which surprised me a little bit, honestly, because I didn't know a ton about Waco outside of its relationship to the Oklahoma City bombing, which there is a connection there, actually. Yeah, I can, yeah. we can get into that. Mm. But um, I believed the like the story the cops had, kind of unknowingly. I kind of just assumed it was common knowledge. It's like, oh, and then they like burned the place down or something, and they, they all died. Like I didn't know a lot about the history of it, so this was yeah, very interesting to me <laughs> to I'd... see like what really went down. Especially when yeah. you look at other like big news cults like Jonestown, where they killed a U.S. politician and then did mass suicide, and then like the Heaven's Gate cult that all drank poison Kool Aid as well, I think. Yeah, that's the thing is it gets compared to both of those, and that was kind of the story that I was familiar with. Although I also I wasn't particularly familiar with this to begin with, but 
having heard about that stuff, it's pretty easy to believe, right, that a cult, which this was, which is preaching Armageddon shit, which they were, did a mass suicide. That That's pretty easy to believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's almost definitely not what happened. Yeah. Even, like, their particular... For a cult, they seemed on the lenient side, if that makes sense, right? Oh, like, yeah. There wasn't, like, a weird indoctrin thing or them, like, moving around and trying to gather new members. People just kind of came to them. Yeah, he wasn't, he was, so like the cult leader, uh, what was his name again? It was like David something. David Koresh, which is not his real name. He changed it to that, but that was his, he did legally change his name to David Koresh. Yeah, so like Koresh, he didn't consider himself like, just like God, (laughs) like a lot of other cult leaders do. He just saw himself as like, a messiah speaking to god so like he he still had all your classic cult leadership going on of like he clearly liked attention and he found some excuse to have sex with everyone oh yeah (laughs) you know like that's kind of the key to a cult right at the same time they while they had they were clearly preaching some armageddon shit they didn't seem like they had any plans to kill themselves or actually incite said armageddon they kind of just seemed like they were hanging out yeah because yeah. The at thing least according that, to this documentary which i mean like could be more info out there but that's true the whole thing was that the armageddon was going to come to them and that they were god's yeah. chosen people who were going to defend themselves against the armies of babylon yeah. um and like his 24 sons were going to be the only people who survive and then would lead the lead the world after that or his 24 children i don't think they had to be specifically sons yeah but the the atf and the fbi really did everything they could to make that come true oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were the army of babylon <laughs> kind of did right. just happen um which really i you know played into his hands i guess if he wanted to keep everyone there and i don't get it twisted he's a Koresh was a pretty creepy, slimy dude. There's some accusations of sexual abuse going on in the oh, compound. Oh, for sure guilty which, of yeah. statutory rape, even even though it may not be guilty in the legal sense, because as it turns out, in Texas at the time, uh, that was just legal <laughs> to <Yeah>. do. <laughs> or if, if a 14-year-old if, had a consenting parent. Yay, Texas. <sighs> So, which is kind of an interesting angle as to, like, why the ATF is even there, because uh, no one could get them on any sort of, like, sex crimes, because, uh, I mean, (laughs) the United States isn't great at uh, getting people on that now, and boy, was it (laughs) ineffective (laughs) back in, like, the 80s or 90s, right? Yeah. Instead, like, the ATF is there for some sort of, like, gun stockpiling thing, which, like, I don't... I think it was, like, specifically, like, the manufacturer of, like, arms and explosives. Yeah. Yeah, so they their warrant was for the, the weird thing about the ATF warrant with this, and there's some there's a lot of weird things about the way they showed up to begin with, um, but the warrant was for manufacturing of weapons and explosives, but also it was for child abuse and child sexual abuse, which was definitely going on in that compound but also that's not the atf's jurisdiction like they just can't they they can't do anything about that they're not supposed to get warrants for that um 
Yep. Which is, I mean, hey, you know, that's a thing that they should stop. But the ATF being the ones getting it is kind of weird. Yeah, they can just call the FBI. Because that's like one of the few good things the FBI does do, right? Is handle things like that. Yeah. And that's where the ATF also... Part of what led the raid to go wrong is that the ATF alerted a whole bunch of news media, local media, that they were going to do this, told them to come out and film it. Uh, So there's some accusations that it was set up to be somewhat of a publicity stunt. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because of that, the cameras got there before the ATF did. So the Davidians saw the cameras and were like, oh shit, something's going down. The ATF had a guy on the inside who radioed out and was like, you got to call this off. They know you're coming. They're ready. And then they just did it anyways. And again, according to them, the Davidian shot first, but in the congressional hearing, so this, this documentary kind of jumps back and forth between news footage from the time and some self filmed interviews of Koresh in the compound with the congressional hearings that took place in 1997 about this. And there's multiple people in the congressional hearings saying like, yeah, we looked at this and what the ATF said was that the Davidians started shooting out through the front double doors of the compound, but all the bullet holes in the doors were going in and the doors are now gone because the building burned down. So we don't have it to analyze now, but like at the time when it was analyzed, they were all going in. Well, it's not even uh, that the doors are gone that they don't have a, because the building burned down. They were metal doors and they're just missing because the FBI destroyed the compound and also tanks ran over half of it. Like after it burned down, they trashed the whole thing. But to the going, point where they might have even been collected as evidence yeah. and then destroyed. That's a very real possibility. Yeah, the FBI yeah. collected them like they took all the other evidence and then never released it again. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of like the local authorities evidence was the the FBI asked for a lot of evidence to be handed over for their inspection. And then when it was asked to be returned, they were just like, oh, we lost it. It's all gone. Because yeah, there was also probably I think there was like footage of that initial shooting. And that's mysteriously gone as well. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. and given all the other lies we start seeing, it's like it's a pretty clear cover up job. Yeah. And the other thing with the warrant that they got, they also said the way they got access to the military hardware and all the training and everything that the ATF did beforehand was because they touted it as a drug raid, which was never part of it. And that's how they got the army to approve using their stuff. Yeah, they had a bunch of military equipment that they borrowed from the U.S. Army. Because they kept saying it was a, yeah, they kept saying it was a huge drug raid. And so it got to, like, fall under a different classification, even though drugs was never part of the warrant. Yeah. Anyways, all that to... By, we're we're kind of just, like, doing the documentary right now. <laughs> it's so uh, interesting, though. Like, I, I really can talk about it forever. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't watched it, you'll get a lot out of this. If you have, I mean... <sighs> so, okay. Let me ask you guys this, this question first. The theory that the documentary purports am i using that word right proposes <laughs> is that the uh the davidians didn't start the fire themselves right so the main the main component of this is that there was a um surveillance plane flying overhead this is the days before drones because it's 1993 uh and also it's you know on u.s soil so they shouldn't be using military equipment anyways but that's another discussion <laughs> uh 
But there was a surveillance plane that had thermal imaging or infrared imaging, a FLIR camera. And this was brought up in the congressional hearings. Uh, I think I said the hearings were in 97 earlier. I think it was 96, and then the movie was made in 97. Um, anyways, it's brought up in the congressional hearings, and they didn't really make anything of it. But in this documentary, they have the guy who invented or had a part in inventing the technology and holds several patents in the area going over the film and the park would you like to play your your sound clip now oh yeah um the fbi never fired one shot at the davidians yeah so several times during the hearings the fbi insists that they never fired a shot while they were going through the process of trying to break into the compound on April 19th, 1993. Well, they weren't even trying to just, they're, they're not trying to break in. They're trying, they're gassing. They're, they're putting in Geneva convention banned chemical weapons into a compound on us soil. Yeah. They're, they're pumping tear gas into it and shooting wall penetrating tear grass rounds that are supposed to like punch through walls and then release the gas inside. They did that for six hours into a building that had a bunch of kids in it already terrible and also they were tearing holes in the walls of it with a tank that just had like a fucking plow on the front yeah it was just like driving around the complex poking holes in it which uh were at least according to some experts uh particularly (laughs) useful for uh making a building more flammable Mm -hmm. uh yeah, they, they, they turned the compound into a big green egg, essentially, <laughs> where air could get in and feed any flames that might be there. Perfect airflow straight through the building. And also, tear gas, after it settles, the aerosolizing components become extremely flammable. Huh. Yeah. As was the fuel that they spilled everywhere. Yes, <laughs> also the fucking kerosene. And also, when, this, uh, when the CS powder it was either cs powder or the accelerant it's or not the accelerant but the aerosolizer itself whenever it burns it creates hydrogen cyanide gas which uh there was a train wreck when i was at tennessee south of knoxville and it burned and released hydrogen cyanide gas and they had to evacuate a rather large radius of like a mile and a half around this burning train so that Mm. you did not die because of how toxic it is yeah um but yeah, okay, going back to the FLIR cameras, though. So all this stuff is happening. The building is now full of holes and extremely flammable gas. And you see a tank, another tank driving up to the backside of the building. And from the back of the tank, on the thermal imaging camera, you see what appear to be gunshots. And this guy, who's an expert on the matter, is insisting, like, these are gunshots. It can't be anything else. It's, there's nothing natural that would produce that pattern of heat. It's gunshots. And there's also a report from an independent investigation company or whatever that does thermal... They do infrared studies as well. Yeah, a thermal image analysis lab that did an independent analysis of it for 60 minutes and then retracted it uh, because they were afraid that they would be retaliated against by the FBI. Yeah, which they would have been, 100%. Yes. 100%. <laughs> but somehow the documentary people got a hold of the analysis documents and it verified the same thing that this guy is saying of 
these are gunshots they're shooting into the building. Lo and behold, the building catches on fire because they're shooting guns into it, which when they hit things can create sparks. And when they ping off of metal, and that can start a fire. And a couple of incendiary gas grenades. They were using, they claimed to only be using non-incendiary, but they found several incendiary gas grenades in the rubble. Yeah. So this leads me to, I'll ask you guys the obvious question. Uh, Do you think the documentary successfully convinced you that the fire was actually the FBI's fault? Uh, yeah, <laughs> like one hundred percent. Yeah, it was absolutely their fault. And like, even if like, it's totally possible that this documentary left out a lot of things that the Branch Davidians like did, or things about them that would make them seem less sympathetic. Everything that the ATF and the FBI did is like such. It's like textbook cop shit. I don't like they. They lie all the time. Like they're in <laughs> situations like this, uh, if they think that something isn't being recorded, like they will, like just they will just straight up lie about it. There's plenty of lies in this documentary, like that they show. The FBI never fired one shot at the Davidians. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> God damn it! Uh, they're not going to see the people like in there as human beings right like pretty no. like their training is going to teach them there's like they're the enemy like there are people like surrounding the place there are people like camping out and like watching this all go down it's like oh look at all the crazies cooped up in this compound right um like i don't know it's just it's something that has happened to like individuals hundreds of thousands of times probably in like United States history. And is this is just a case of it happening on a much grander scale. Right. Yeah. And they had, I mean, when was like, when was the Jonestown incident? That was before this as well. Correct. I, I think so. Like, I think it was late seventies. So yeah. Yeah. Which could not have helped. No. The so that's Davidians very much. Not good PR. <laughs> Yeah, it, uh, you know, they use that as all of their, like, ammunition at this group, that they're just as insane as the 918 people who killed themselves down in, uh, where, where did they go to? Somewhere in South America or Central America? I can't remember, but it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't remember. But another thing, too, about, like, that we're talking about with all of these tanks and everything, them punching the holes in the wall and them shooting, is there was a big part of this, is that they allowed the media to be there at like the one mile distance the entire time. But all of this is happening on the opposite side of the compound from where the media was allowed to be. So it's all out of view of the cameras, which is why the only footage is the FLIR flying overhead. Yeah, they're very, very strict about cameras only on the front side. Nobody nobody on the back from the media. Uh, But even from the front side, (laughs) they got some interesting stuff with, you know, cops talking about like, when are we going in there or whatever there was that thing with the kkk guys showing up yes. to help the cops that was funny as fuck yeah like whatever like the local grand wizard of the kkk just rolls up and is like hey we'll help you kill them all and it's like oh cool that's just i'm what here we want. to help you solve this like uh, no who asked for you uh, uh, probably probably the cops asked for that's them. true <laughs> they're great friends 
but I mean, yeah, it's it's a very relevant film to our modern day still. I, it, yeah. Boy, boy, do the people switch places in in Congress. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anybody that's like was surprised by the way that the the protests were handled last summer, this is your evidence, right? That you just weren't paying attention. Because this is what American police have been doing since they've existed. Because they're not—they're not fucking peacekeepers. They're an occupying force, is what they are. It's how they're budgeted. It's how they're handled. It's how they behave, and that's what they're doing here. Yeah. Also, not to get too conspir- conspiratorial here, but after the Ferguson protest, a lot of organizers around that have wound up dead somehow. And mm-hmm. do not be surprised if that starts happening with a lot of Black Lives Matter organizers, uh, because these things tend to happen <laughs> where people who go against the police uh, wind up dead in some unrelated incident. Well, I mean, there was also the freaking Portland police black bagging people who looked like they could be involved with the protests. That happened. <laughs> Yeah, there's still been, like, nothing else came of that, right? They were just kidnapping people off the fucking They were kidnapping people, trying to get them to, like, tell them about, like, the protest leaders and such, never charging them with anything, and then just releasing them somewhere else. Which is completely illegal. (laughs) But, like, nothing's gonna ever come of that. Yeah. Guarantee it, right? So, I mean, as easy as it is to believe that, you know, the Davidians could have been a suicide cult that burned their house down on top of themselves. It's also very easy to believe that the cops just fucking killed them because they wanted to for no yeah. other reason than they just decided that today is the day we start shooting. Well, and especially with a, like even the FBI uh, negotiator said, he said himself, it's like when, cause there are a lot of people, they were like driving tanks over, the graves of Branch Davidians that were killed in the first raid and shit. Yep. And David Koresh was obviously very mad about this. And the, or whoever was talking to the negotiator, and the negotiator was uh, saying stuff that I think we probably all believe, or a lot of people who <laughs> take issue with uh, cops or the FBI would have. It's like, like these boys just kind of want to flex their muscles, right? Like they don't get to use these tanks or whatever and they you know they're just kind of letting off steam or whatever you know they're not gonna be as mature as like the higher ups or something yeah uh it's one of those situations where it's like if you give someone a hammer everything's a nail right you're, you're holding a siege on all these like families and you give some like 20 something a fucking tank <laughs> yeah yeah like and it, you expect there to not be bodies by the end of this situation? You, you give them a tank and a high-caliber weapon, and you tell them the people in that compound are crazy. Yeah, and, like, how could anyone expect anything other than bloodshed yeah. here, right? Uh, it's, it's absurd on its face to assume g- good intentions from the FBI or the ATF here, right? Because yeah. they showed no signs of that. Well, and you also had, like, the ATF and FBI like trying to lie about the the kind of weapons they had too. you know, they're, yeah, they had one guy talking about he was fearing for his life because all he has was a nine millimeter and they were shooting at him with uh, AK rounds. And then it immediately cuts to footage of like three guys with like very clearly like five, five, six or five, four, five, like large caliber 
rifles. Big old guns, not not your nine millimeter Glocks he was saying they had. Yeah, they're clearly very well armed with automatic weapons. Yeah, because they tried <laughs> to tout the claim like that all the people who were killed within the compound from gunfire were killed by self-inflicted gunshot wounds or gunshots from other members of the compound just killing them. But then when they recovered all the bullets from the body before they could start looking at them, the FBI came in and took all the bullets because they knew that they were going to come back as, like, government-issue high-caliber mm. rounds. hundred <laughs> percent. And also, like, even the argument of, like, oh, they shot first at us, it's like, okay, if I, given, especially the way, like, cults work, right, there's usually kind of the person leading it who is the most at fault for any fucked-up stuff happening there, and a lot of times the people around it around that person are just very like vulnerable well-meaning people yeah right uh which certainly seemed to be the case here for the most part but so they genuinely see themselves as being under siege because they are right and like they're defending their family and then (laughs) one day you see you put yourself in the shoes of these people and if one day you saw a cattle car full of men with assault rifles and body armor driving up to your front door I can't guarantee I would wait to shoot. You know, yeah. I can't guarantee <laughs> I would wait for the bullets to start flying before I would do something. Right? Like, mm-hmm. it looked like they were under attack because they were. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, they like, literally were. I don't think anyone could fault them for trying to defend themselves. <laughs> yeah. Like, and to be clear, like they definitely were at least shooting back. There were four ATF officers that were injured or killed. killed. I think there four, was four killed. killed and several injured. Yeah, in the raid, which also makes it even more believable that they burned the whole place down on purpose because cops love revenge more than anything. But uh, yeah, like, <laughs> okay, no knock warrants already the most a big problem. Yeah, right. like look at look at like the Brianna Taylor thing as an example of some shit like that where somebody kicks your door down with a fucking gun. Of course you're gonna shoot back. Are you kidding me? This is that on, like, a whole other scale of this is a military force kicking your door down. They even say, like, some member of this, of the committee even says, like, we could have served this warrant with, like, three men in some suits. Because there was no, like, risk of these people being aggressive because they were, like, fairly, like, well-accepted members of the community. And said they roll out the cavalry. They escalated the situation to be on the news basically and a bunch of people died for it yeah and then like they also some guy during the hearing tries to bring up um like the fact that oh well the people in the compound were murderers but then they even like said like yeah but all 11 of them were acquitted of murder charges like the 11 survivors but he's still sitting there trying to call them murderers even though they were found innocent speaking of the hearing uh i'd be interested in talking a little about the uh interesting political lines that are being drawn during this documentary yes we have some very familiar faces uh yeah turns out people be in congress for a long time uh (laughs) they just won't die (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so okay Once again, relating this to the present day, there's two things that this bears comparing to, in my mind. Excuse me. 
The first one being, of course, the protests last summer and throughout the last year. And the other being the, like, Russiagate congressional hearings, because that's the most public congressional hearings, at least that I'm aware of in the last year. The impeachment stuff, too. Um, So, in both of these cases, this is while Republicans had the president, the Senate, not the House. The Republicans, of course, extremely defensive of the police and extremely defensive of President, at the time, Trump, during the hearings and stuff. Democrats, meanwhile, you know, and there's there's a spectrum with them. You've got your Bidens and whatnot that are, you know, oh, reform the police or whatever. And then you've got your AOCs and your Bernies that are a little more defund. Nobody quite in the abolish camp, but whatever. All that, there, there is, there was some level of actual criticism of policing from the party, though. Now, you go back to the 90s, in this situation, Clinton is the president. I believe the Democrats had the Senate at the time, maybe not the House anymore. Uh, I guess this was pre-midterms. Was it? I don't know. I I, I couldn't tell you the exact numbers, but the, the Democrats are the party in power here. And guess who in these hearings is now defending the federal agencies and who's going after them? It's the other way around. The Democrats are defending Chuck Schumer is literally doing like all of the Jim Jordan shit that people made fun of him for and like own him on Twitter or whatever for being an idiot and stay saying stupid shit in congressional hearings. Chuck Schumer is just doing the same fucking thing. It's just yeah. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, you had you have a very interesting rhetoric where in this you have Chuck Schumer talking about how flashbang grenades are not grenades and are not weapons and they are like tactical devices. And then you have this last summer where it's a similar rhetoric, but it's him talking about how tear gas and flash grenades are weapons and are lethal. Yeah, and in the documentary, you literally have like you got the ATF guy saying, like, oh, yeah, we use them because they're not dangerous. And then you have the, like, weapons expert guy being like, these can kill you if they go off too close to you. Like, you're not throwing a flashbang at anyone that you care too much about. Yeah, they will mm-hmm. detonate your eardrums and can permanently cause, like, sight damage or just blindness, too, if they don't kill you. It's just a very fascinating kind of snapshot of like political history to me because mm-hmm. it's kind of like a breed of politics that has largely died out uh, as of 2021 where it's you have the like big government small government conversation right where the re- republicans are against the uh, they don't really seem to have many opinions on like local cops i think they've kind of always liked local cops but uh, pretty much everyone who is grilling the ATF and the FBI are Republicans. You know, the Democrats are all uh, big fans of the uh, federal uh, police, right? Today, that argument is kind of over. Both sides pretty much are pro-FBI, right? I get, you'd get the occasional, like, people who are super into Trump and be like, oh, the CIA and the FBI hate Donald Trump or whatever, but... For the most part, 
no one is talking about this, <laughs> you know, like there's no one you can vote for is like the anti FBI candidate or anti ATF candidate. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, like that argument has been sort of subsumed. It's not on the table anymore. Yeah. Right. When it clearly is at this time. But even at the time, I, I feel like it's so much just a product of who's in power too. Where it's like the big, evil big government thing was of course an extremely common republican talking point pretty much up until the trump era but i mean if you go back to like reagan and nixon and shit right that's all huge expansions of the power of stuff like the dea so it, it wasn't because they were actually opposed to like mass policing it was just their talking point about like a budget or whatever yeah but because at this time they were out of power they're using that as a you know as an argument in these hearings true and also there's the interesting angle of like who <laughs> the branch davidians were yeah because it felt like a lot of the republicans who were arguing on their side seemed to sort of identify with them in certain ways particularly with one the branch davidians uh religion being like an offshoot of christianity um to the point where like their whole religion was actually just very close to just like regular <laughs> Christianity in uh, a lot of ways. Yeah. Right? Like uh, they just took things like very literally, if anything. And, and of course we're centered around their Messiah figure. Right. Which is like, I guess what makes, this, I guess that's the difference between like a cult and just like being a like Methodist or something. <laughs> yeah. The only difference between the Davidians and the Mormons is that the Mormons didn't all get murdered by the government. <laughs> No, the Mormons just murder each other over weird disagreements and fake documents. Yeah, that that document, the white, the white, the white salamander incident. Yeah. yeah. Or wait, are we thinking of the same thing? Yeah, yeah, the, the like, one where the guy was like faking stuff and blew people up. Yeah. Yeah, he had like a fake document that said that he was that uh, whatever the founder of the Mormon religion was received the documents from a white salamander instead of from the angel Gabriel, and it turned into a whole thing. And a lot of people very funny. The Mormons being like, well, that makes us sound silly. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? We can't have this. (laughs) Uh, I can get sidetracked. But anyway, they there's also like the gun angle, right? Yeah. Which uh, I could be off about this. And I don't know if this was before or after, but the whole issue like the way guns are even like seen today through the eyes of the law of like the second amendment being read as a militia can just mean a guy in a walmart today right like you can be anyone and like just walk around with a gun you might need like a license to open carry or something but you could be considered a militia by the supreme court if you're just some guy right uh um and the, my wording is probably off and lawyers are pulling their hair out but whatever um <laughs> that that reading is like relatively new like and i'm talking as of the last 30 or so years yeah and i don't know if this ruling was like brand new right around the waco stuff or like after the waco stuff i don't know if it was because of the waco stuff or <laughs> you know like when that switch happened but exactly how legal like 
these people having all these weapons was had never really like made it to the Supreme Court yet. So everything was a little more up in the air than it is today. And the issue with their weapons was like they, they even have like a guy who works for gun shows and stuff like that who had actually like met the Davidians at these gun shows before. They like you you can legally buy and sell and trade all these weapons at these gun shows in Texas and that's what they were doing. The what they were saying they were doing was modifying weapons to operate fully automatic which is illegal that's what like the ak is they hold up at the end yeah yeah um but like they had every right to own all of those guns like you know and there was a chance that like like a lot of the a lot of gun laws around that time like if they had made it to the supreme court who knows what would have happened you know like they could have challenged it up just because like things might have been a little more up in the air (laughs) Uh, and clearly, I think the Republicans in this documentary might, I, I, it was hard to tell if that was a motivating factor or not, but it seemed like that could be the case. So just for a little context, the federal assault weapons ban, which I think is probably the strongest anti-gun legislation that's ever been passed, uh, it was passed in 1994, so a year after this, and then it expired in 2004. Um, but I think it was fairly bipartisan. I'm looking for the actual vote tallies right now, but it was initially authored by Diane Feinstein, who's a Democrat from California. Isn't she still in Congress, too? Uh, her body is, but her brain has left us uh, <laughs> long ago. <laughs> and it's Futurama jar. Uh, 52 to 48 vote. Huh? 52 to 48 vote. I don't know. Okay. So not very bipartisan, uh, but apparently former presidents Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, and Ronald Reagan, who... Okay, Nancy wrote his piece of that letter because he was... Yeah, Reagan was also... His brain was pudding. That man was a vegetable. (laughs) That dude was fucking out of it when he was president before he ran for re-election, but... That's another story. Anyways, Reagan, Carter, and Ford wrote to the U.S. House of Representatives in support of the bill and the ban in 1993. Uh, but it passed. It was it was introduced in October 93. Passed in 94. Nine Republicans uh, voted in favor. Yeah. Um. So the. And I'm I'm just looking at the fucking Wikipedia article right now. It doesn't list Waco as an inciting part of that, but like, it would certainly fit with. Feels that. like it. Yeah, um, yeah. The timing's lists, right. I mean, there was a school shooting in 1989, shooting in 1991, shooting in 1990. There's a lot of it's America. There's a lot of shootings, so it's not hard to pick a few from any given year. This is America. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I guess the point I'm driving at is like this feels a little bit like a documentary that like your weird libertarian history teacher would wheel out <laughs> near the end of a semester <laughs> in like eighth grade. <laughs> yeah, you know? I, I can buy that. As much as like, and I mean, I agree with like pretty much everything. You know, like the angle of the documentary, I'm like, uh, yeah, they shouldn't have burn these people to death right i think that's pretty hard to argue against but mm. uh it is very interesting the way 
just like the political climate of the time versus now is just like night. It feels like it feels very different. <laughs> yeah, and just like they go through all these hearings and all this blustering <laughs> and all of this like evidence that like clearly there was some sort of foul play, even without proper analysis of the the FLIR imaging. Because again, they had showed it in the hearings and nobody pointed out the gunshots on it. It just like didn't come up because. These people don't know how to read it. One guy wrote off like a detonation as the sun reflecting back, yeah. which is literally not how flares work. Flare stuff works. It's not how reflections <laughs> works. It, like you would, you would have to have like a very constant reflection for a long period of time for yeah, it to start generating just be, heat like that. That would just be the sun heating something up. <laughs> like, yeah, wouldn't, it wouldn't be. There wouldn't be a flash. Um, but yeah, like they go through all of this and still the conclusion that they come to is, oh, nobody did anything wrong. You got Joe Biden himself being like, how can you possibly go with any other narrative than the Davidians burn themselves down? Uh, and it's just like, congressional hearings are so fucking stupid, man. <laughs> What's <laughs> the point? They're so dumb. Oh, I don't think I've ever God. like watched one live because I guess I figure I'll get... I'll get the good clips later. Exactly, because they, they stretch on. Uh, it'll be made into a nice documentary. Because this documentary is like... <laughs> Two hours uh, long. It's pretty, But it's pretty like bare bones yeah. in terms of production. It's pretty much just clips from the hearings, interview clips, and like the occasional narrator. I will say that the cuts are done really well. Because, like, you cut from the guy explaining, hey, look, here's the FBI shooting at them, to, I'm not going to play it again, but the FBI saying that they didn't shoot. And then it cuts back to him showing another angle where another set of FBI agents were shooting again. And then it cuts back to the FBI denying it. Like, it... Yeah. It's, yeah, it's super well edited, and for two and a half hours of just, like, <laughs> hearing videos, incredibly engaging. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I was, but I was hooked. It's not... This is, you know, there's no Errol Morris here, right? We're not going to get reenactments. We're not mm-hmm. getting, like, uh, like the QAnon doc where he's going to go hang out with the guy who's, like, Q, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> so, like, he was at the Capitol with him, dude. Yeah. I can't get over like, it. Like, it, it, instead of that, it's literally, you know, it's just, like, here's a video from the hearing and a very occasional, like, expert opinion on something. Uh, they're not... Not a lot of bells and whistles on this, right? It's just like, we got an interesting story and we're going to make a movie about it. Yeah, uh, so this feels like a good transition to something I wanted to talk about uh, with documentary production in general. Uh, but before we do that, did anybody have anything else about the hearings they wanted to talk about? No, I just had like a weird flashback, though, when uh, I think Will or whoever, whichever one of, y'all, one of y'all said the whole thing about like your weird libertarian history teacher in eighth grade. Um, I'm starting to have flashbacks to our civics teacher at the <laughs> school, and I'm pretty sure, well, I know she was a diehard Democrat, like, all four This Obama. is eighth grade? Yeah, this is eighth grade. Okay. Yeah, I know um, what you're talking about. And then she also had, like, a bunch of stuff like terrorist hunting license, and things like that on her wall. Well, that was the that was the Democratic Party, and I mean, always has been, right? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm just 
I'm having these flashbacks to it now. <laughs> it all starts to make a little more sense when, you know. God, she sucked. That class was awful. <laughs> yeah, that really class did suck. Yeah, that was a miserable <laughs> class. Bad. Which is weird because, like, I like politics and history oh, yeah. and stuff, but uh... she was just not a great teacher for it. So, with modern documentaries, I feel like there's been sort of a resurgence in the wake of. It feels to me like the start was making a murder on Netflix, right? There may have been stuff before that uh, that kicked it off, but that that feels like the first one that everybody watched which actually i haven't seen but you have right will i've seen yeah i've seen the first two seasons it's it's a really weird docuseries because the case is ongoing so the first season incredibly interesting Mm -hmm. the second season becomes a weird advertisement for his like pro bono (laughs) lawyer (laughs) defending Mm -hmm. him it's just like all about how cool she is and it sucks damn rip um you know what's actually been great if you like documentaries, though? is freaking uh, Discovery Plus. Highly recommended for the $5 that it is. I'll have to look into that, because I am on a kick. Um, but anyway, so I feel like post-Making a Murderer, there's kind of this like true, car- true crime docuseries boom, where there's just been a ton of stuff in that genre. And it's not something I have watched a lot of. but recently I watched a few. So again, I watched Q into the storm, which isn't technically cry of true crime, but it is like investigative and there are crimes involved. It's formatted similarly to some of that other stuff. Uh, And then I watched Sasquatch on Hulu, which is also, I thought it was really good, but there's some weird stuff about it that I want to talk about in a second here. And then I watched this documentary about, the son of Sam serial killer that came out on Netflix. Like Chelsea and I just watched that last night. What did you think? Uh, Did you watch the whole thing? No, we, we didn't. We, we started it. We have not seen the whole thing, but okay. Cause it's, yeah, it's four hour long episodes. Yeah. We, we watched the first one and a half. I mean, I, I, I'm enjoying it so far. I also like this kind of shit. Um, like, a background noise show for me is stuff like the first 48 sometimes. I thought it was interesting, but it ends in kind of a strange way that I won't spoil. I'll let you finish it and then we can talk about that one later. But I will talk about Sasquatch. I'm going to spoil that for you. That's Sorry, Mike, even though you got to see it. <laughs> Sasquatch fucking rule. <laughs> Sasquatch is awesome. Um, but so what all of these documentaries and this the son of sam one isn't super like this but it's kind of a reconstruction of an investigation that was being done back in the 70s through the 90s um by this reporter but a lot of these modern ones are very explicitly investigative somebody is trying to solve a case right like that's what making a murderer was that's what q is and that's what the sasquatch was where it's like but you, you end up in this weird spot when you do that, or at least it felt weird to me what happened with that show, because it is it is a docu-series, but it's only three 45-minute episodes. And it's this guy, the, the plot of it is this guy who is a longtime undercover investigative reporter uh, in the 90s 
did some work on a cannabis farm in Northern California. And he is recalling this night where he's in a cabin on the farm and some guy comes in who's like a meth head or something is tweaked out of his mind. And he's like, dude, I just found three bodies. They got murdered and ripped apart by a Sasquatch. <laughs> Bigfoot killed three people <laughs> on this cannabis farm. And he's like, so the, the, the series is him trying to figure out like what actually happened. And over the episodes, he comes up with like all these like, he starts to find people that remember a rumor going around about that. And then finding people where there's like a more grounded, realistic rumors of what happened. And he starts asking around and he gets all these denials and he's like starting to push. And then he gets in contact with a guy who was in the cabin, who was the owner of the farm. And the guy tells him over the phone, he's like, yeah, I set that up. We like, chopped up some people to scare off the Mexican immigrant farmers that we thought were trying to move in on our territory and made them think it was Sasquatch. And he's just like, oh. <laughs> and that's the end of the series. Oh. <laughs> Which, it's funny, like, he was talking about, like, everyone being on different drugs at the time. That is a very, like, method thing to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, we'll scare him with Sasquatch by murdering three people. And it's like, I think just murdering three people might scare them enough, but... <laughs> like, Specifically framing a Bigfoot as the murderer. Yeah, wait, it's wait. like, I don't think you need to go through the effort of framing a mythical creature when, for this, but, like, do you? When did all of this take place? Uh, in the 90s. Okay, because I'm pretty sure there's a Squidbillies episode about this now that now that you're talking about this. Oh my god. I'm like well, actually almost positive there's a Squidbillies episode that parodies. Well, no, because it was like it was like a, a local folktale though as ah. part of this. Is he's like talking to people that were there at the time and there were very few people that even remembered the story. Yeah, and even fewer who even wanted to talk about it because, I mean, it was all like... <laughs> they're all growing pot out in the like hills you know like people had died over talking about this stuff you know <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah um but it was a really interesting show that i really enjoyed it's just the ending felt very abrupt and jarring because again it's an investigation and then as he's looking for clues all of a sudden he just finds the answer out of nowhere and then it's just over <laughs> um yeah. which Brings me back to Waco Rules of Engagement. This is not an investigative piece, right? Like, clearly, yeah. they this was made by somebody that watched the hearings, had an idea of, like, okay, I feel like this didn't go down the way the official story is telling us, and then got the FLIR guy to look at the footage and basically confirm it, and then put together a case to demonstrate their point that they had already arrived at rather than just building building the film at the same time as they're building their investigation in their case. And you end up with two very different things, both stylistically and somewhat in terms of effectiveness, I would say. Um, because, and Will made a YouTube video about this like two years ago, I think. Yeah. Uh, but like the, the maker of a documentary obviously has a lot of impact on the case it makes when it is a documentary that is trying to make some sort of case and it's not Ken Burns baseball or whatever. Um, and you can kind of fall into this trap of like, they put together a really compelling narrative and you get hooked in 
and it presents all this evidence to make you believe something. But it can do that without ever presenting an alternative. It can make an incomplete case that feels compelling to you. Yeah. Uh, but I think because of the way this one is constructed, where it's not it's not investigative, it's just demonstrating its point that they already come to, I think it makes the case pretty darn well. It doesn't feel like there's really any holes in what they showed. Uh, so what are y'all's thoughts on that, I guess? That wasn't really a question. That was kind of just me ranting, but I would like to discuss the I mean, investigative versus non-investigative. Yeah, I think the key, like, I guess, like, the difference, the key difference is, like, if you're going to make a documentary, I guess you got to find the interesting part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for Waco, to me, the interesting part isn't, like, them... Because the investigation for this would be just a guy in a room watching the hearings and like writing down notes of like, ooh, someone said this thing. <laughs> Let's put that in the documentary. <laughs> you know, like that is the extent of the investigation that they're doing. Plus, like, ca- I guess calling the guy who did like the FLIR stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the interesting part of the Waco documentary, you know, is uh, like, kind of like the nuts and bolts of what happened just kind of like telling you the story through these hearings right with the occasional like calling people out for lying right like that's a big part of it too mm-hmm. uh the interesting part of this like the sasquatch documentary uh isn't necessarily like the truth they arrive at because the truth they arrive at is like kind of crazy and weird but like i mean you summed it up in like uh, two minutes right <laughs> yeah like it's not a long story and, but the interesting part about the sasquatch thing is like this guy poking around in this sort of like underworld and like the guy who made it like himself is a very interesting character yeah uh, and has done like a lot of like undercover journalism type stuff where he like infiltrated like gangs and like nazis and shit you know (laughs) like yeah put himself in really dangerous situations uh so like he's interesting uh like the sort of just vibe of the place that like the place he's investigating the place little like ridge where there's so many growers is very like cool and mysterious i don't know it's way more about the journey with that yeah right Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what you get with these investigative ones is there's so much more narrative and they do tend to have more of anything yeah it's and you know you know they'll have like a narrator going the whole time there's a clear story that ends up getting constructed which i mean you know that happens in like the q one to some extent too where but also okay there's this other side of those where it can almost turn into like a reality show at points which the q1 kind of falls into that for a bit not in a bad way it's like extremely interesting what happens but tiger king falls into that if you could call that like yeah i was gonna say like tiger king and it it really became a reality tv show for some people (laughs) it it starts as an investigation and yeah it, it just turned into the reality show that joe exotic always wanted to make um and i don't know it's 
where the genre is at right now is is documentary even a genre is that the right word or is it more just a a medium or a format and true crime is a genre of it i would say true crime is a genre of like documentaries and docu-series you could have like a true crime tv show that might not really be like a documentary like i don't think i would consider the first 48 a documentary because it's following the investigation as it's going which I guess yeah. that that could be a type of documentary. I don't know. Oh well, well. Okay. Regardless of the proper way to refer to documentary, the point that I'm trying to get at here is, it was interesting to me watching this thing from 1997 because what is popular right now in documentary is completely different. Even though it is a lot of what's popular is doing similar things, where it's trying to present another side of some sort of criminal activity. Uh, and it's just the the way that it's all been put together in the series format where they can do something longer and in this streaming age where you can put so many of these things out. It's turned into something very different. And I think what we have now is probably more compelling and easier to sit down and just watch without being in a documentary mood, I suppose. Like, I, if I'm just going to pick a movie on a Friday night because I want to watch a movie, I'm not going to pick Waco Rules of Engagement, no. right? I'm going to watch that because I want to know about Waco, which I did. I didn't know that much about it. I learned a lot watching this. and It was very interesting. But you could take something like this Son of Sam documentary on Netflix right now and just watch that like you're watching TV. And it's simul- so it's simultaneously become like this more accessible thing, but also just like something completely different at times. All right, well, uh, we're at about an hour now, so does anybody have anything else about the movie itself before we get out of here? The FBI never fired one shot at the Davidians. Thank you, Officer Fuckface. All right. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's do some recommendations then and wrap this thing up. So, Park, would you recommend Waco Rules of Engagement? Yeah, if you're into the documentary thing and you want to know more about the Waco incident, like, because even though this does frame the police as the bad guy or the FBI and the ATF as the bad guys, I guess I should clarify it's the federal officials because even the police that they interview, the Texas Rangers, are like, this was fucked up what they did. That is uh, true. We didn't bring that up that the the local cops <laughs> yeah. kind of got like boxed out and then yeah when the when the local texas police are like yo y'all went a little too far <laughs> you, you know you went a little too far uh, but yeah like even beyond that it's it's a very like informative documentary on you know kind of how the cult came to be and things like that i, I definitely recommend it uh yeah i would say it's kind of i guess because it's so like educational in nature i would say if you already think you know everything about waco like you've seen all like the evidence that the police probably fired first and like know all that stuff uh you probably don't need to watch this because you know everything but if you don't know a lot about waco or you maybe had the same misconceptions that i did absolutely watch it because uh, this is very interesting. Oh, and I'm realizing I never explained the connection oh. to the Oklahoma City bombing. <laughs> okay. I'm, so I'm, I'm going to do that real quick. Um, so the so the guy who, who did it, who did the Oklahoma City bombing, 
was, I mean, he was probably already pretty radicalized against the federal government before this, but there were like two key incidents that uh, he sort of pushed him to do what he did. And Waco was one of them. Like he saw, and I forget this is like self-reported or exactly how they got this information out of them. But apparently uh, what happened at Waco, as well as a similar case of, there was some guy and like his, like took his family and wanted to like personally secede from the U.S. and was like up in the Pacific Northwest or something in a cabin. And I forget why the police had an issue with him, but they uh, killed his whole family. So those two incidents helped like further radicalize the Oklahoma gotcha. the Oklahoma City bomber. Uh, so Interesting. it's kind of a through line for all that, that stuff. All right. Well, uh, oh yeah, I guess my recommendation. Uh, yeah, watch the movie. <laughs> if you want to learn stuff, do that. If you're expecting a, uh, you know, th- some of the production and visuals and narration of what you've seen in Netflix docuseries recently, you're not going to get that. Uh, so if that's what you're looking for, don't watch it. <laughs> But if you want to see something different, this is it. It's uh, It was cool. I enjoyed it. Uh, oh, only thing I will say, they do show some of the bodies in the end that have been, you know, burned really bad. And, and mutilated is, by the police or by the yeah, federal agents. Pretty gruesome. It's, uh, it's not pleasant. So if that's not something that you can handle, uh, maybe don't watch this movie or skip that part. It's... Uh, it kind of caught me off guard. It was Alrighty, well, that's the show. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. As always, you can find us at Jump Cuts Pod on all the stuff. Uh, does anybody want to plug anything? You can follow me on Twitter at WillPostWords, and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, which actually just passed 500 subscribers pretty recently. Hey, congratulations. Uh, it's Will Johnston. That's it. Yeah. My plug is for Wilf. Subscribe to his YouTube channel and uh, bully him on Twitter into making another video because he has. I should do that. Yeah, but I don't know. The numbers keep going up, and I don't do anything. Maybe they <laughs> like that. Uh, <laughs> maybe you got it solved. Uh, all right, cool. Well, thanks again. New episodes every Thursday. Be sure to leave a like, rating, review, whatever you do on your app. It really helps us out. Pump those numbers up, and we'll see you next time.